Hey, Obsat Snacks, it's Chelsea with the Sauce Snack Files. I want to take a moment to let you know that no matter where you're listening to this podcast, you can always find the Sauce Snack Files on a myriad of listening platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, and many, many more. If you have not had a chance, make sure you head over to like and follow the Sassanac Files on both Facebook and Instagram for all of the latest and greatest Outlander news as Season 6 information continues to roll in. Also on Facebook going on right now is the final round of our best episode of Season 4 bracket. We've got the birds and the bees getting ready to go head-to-head with Blood of My Blood, and it is bound to be a shootout. So make sure you head over this week and get your final votes in. With all of that out of the way, let's get into my analysis of 306A Malcolm. This episode was... Such a trip this time around, guys. I know that A Malcolm is a super popular episode. It didn't win best episode of season three on the Sassanac Files for nothing. You guys love this episode, and I'll be quite honest, there are tons of stuff I love about this episode as well. But for some reason, I don't know if you guys caught my Facebook Live that I did while I was watching this episode. It just really got me in the feels. Like, normally during A. Malcolm, I'm feeling all happy and bubbly. Like, yes, Jamie and Claire are back together. But this time, I was so sad, guys. I don't know why. It just really depressed me. And I think it was really just thinking about everything that Jamie and Claire have gone through in their 20 years apart and knowing what Claire gave up to be there with Jamie, what Jamie missed with Brianna. It just really all hit me this time for some reason. I was so sad and I just felt like I needed to talk to somebody about it. So I got on Facebook Live and apparently I am not the only one that feels this way. So I really just felt validated in my opinion. So thank you for all of you that reached out and told me I'm not crazy and that you have felt these emotions as well. It made me feel a lot better about myself because I was just having such conflicting emotions. It's never happened to me before while I'm watching A. Malcolm. I've always just felt this sense of elation at this episode. And yeah, so it was a rough one for me. I'm not going to lie. But there's so much to unpack in this episode. So let's get to it. The first thing that I feel like we need to establish is that when Claire stepped back into 18th century Edinburgh, there is an entirely new cast of recruits. Jamie has assumed his final identity of season three, A. Malcolm. He's a printer. He's kind of a lone wolf. Not really much known about him when we start this episode. On the surface, it appears that he's a perfectly respectable printer, member of the Edinburgh community, so on and so forth. But he's hiding something, and we get that feeling more and more as Claire kind of pokes and prods at what he's been up to. But with this new setting of Edinburgh, we get, like I said, a whole new cast of people. So we've got Leslie and Hayes, who are Jamie's guys from Ardsmuir, two of them at least. And 
I'll be quite honest, I'm not really a fan of these characters. These guys were in the books, but they are two characters that were enhanced for the benefit of the show. I really felt like they were trying to recreate the chemistry that Grant O'Rourke and Stephen Walters had as Rupert and Angus. Like this funny little banter, always making jokes, but honestly, it doesn't hit with me. I don't know if you guys are feeling a similar vibe off of these two, but I just don't appreciate them as much as I did Rupert and Angus, honestly, because I feel like they're nowhere near the ballpark and that they should have been made their own characters versus trying to imitate something that was such a fan favorite. So Leslie and Hayes, they are Jamie's Ardsmere prison mates, but yes, I think they, especially as we get later on in season three, um, aren't really very beneficial. They're kind of just filler in my opinion, but somebody else that we meet is Mr. Willoughby, Yi Tin Chaw. He was a stowaway from China. We get his story later, so I'm not going to like go into too much detail, but Jamie kind of rescued him, gave him something to eat picked him up off the street, gave him a job. So he owes a lot to Jamie. And this is a character that has changed pretty significantly from the Mr. Willoughby of the books. I think this, unlike Leslie and Hayes, was a good change. The character that Diana wrote was, I don't want to say racist, but it was very within the stereotype I guess a lot of people have a problem with this particular character in the Gabaldon universe, but I think that the show did a good job of fleshing out this character, making him more relatable, making him more sympathetic, I guess. So I think that Gary Young does a great job playing Mr. Willoughby. So yes, unlike Leslie and Hayes, I feel like this was an adaptation that worked. Then we've got Madame Jean who is the madam of the brothel (laughs) that Jamie stays at. And she also works with Jamie in his smuggling ring. This lady, I swear. So I'm just like, she is so jealous of Claire when she shows up. Like you can totally tell she has the hots for Jamie. She's been working him up. She's been flattering him and taking care of him, hoping to get a piece of that, you know? And then Claire shows up and she's like, who's this bitch? Like he's mine. And then you're like, "Mm, nope, they're married. (laughs) she's so wounded like you can tell she's throwing the pretense around of like well I can't believe you would insult my girls like that by bringing your wife here but you can really tell that she's just butthurt that Jamie has a wife and didn't bother to tell her and then of course the big one that we meet this episode is young Ian oh Ian John Bell does such a fantastic job. He was a great casting for this. And to be honest, I wasn't quite sure what I thought of his casting when I first saw him. He's not at all what I had pictured for young Ian, but I always like to give the actors a chance because more often than not, the casting directors and the producers see something in an actor that we don't get from their headshot or their previous works. They have a take on the character that's super interesting. So like David Barry for Lord John, I gave John Bell a hundred percent of my good faith and um, he pulled it off. I really, really like him as young Ian, especially as he develops over the course of the next couple of seasons. And I cannot wait to see what he comes up with later in the show because he has a fantastic storyline. 
So young Ian is a particularly difficult role in the fact that he goes from a 15, 16 year old boy all the way into a grown man. So they had to find an actor that could encompass all of that and really bring an immaturity to him in these early episodes of season three, but then bring the gravity that he needs and the air of poise and self-possession almost that he has in later books. Like he is very aware of who he is as a person. He's very comfortable with his identity and he is a man in his own right. So it is very interesting to see John Bell maneuver that in Ian as a character. And I'm sure that's probably part of what drew him to that role. So love him. And so those are the big ones. Those are the new characters that we are introduced to in this episode. Now, I did not count Fergus as a new character, but we do have a new actor playing Fergus, Cesar Domboy. He is so great as Fergus. And I think he does a great job imitating Roman Beru's performances, his little tics and just very much body language of Fergus as we know him. And yeah, I could totally see it. The pictures of Cesar and Roman next to each other. It's like, oh yeah, I can totally see it. So that's that's a really big challenge overall that I think the casting director has is we have so many children in this show that are cast to play roles and then they have to recast them as they get older and keep that similarity or keep that physical resemblance and the way they carry themselves and all of that but also get somebody that is fully capable of delivering these fleshed out performances. So I really applaud the casting department in Outlander. Honestly, they do a fantastic job. So with that out of the way, let's get into this episode. All right, because there's a lot to unpack. I'm going to try to not run too long on this, but I apologize in advance because there's a lot to talk about. I know I mentioned in my Facebook Live, I was like, I did not remember that this was an extended episode. It's an hour and 18 minutes. Guys, it took me three hours to get through this episode because I paused it so many times to take so many notes. It was a long night and then I had extreme technical difficulties. (laughs) I swear, I think I have more technical difficulties than any other podcast on the air. (laughs) It literally seems like Every time I go to record one of these episodes, either my computer is not working, my microphone is not working, (laughs) something has gone wrong. So here we are, though. We're ready to talk about it. And the first thing that I want to mention is the absolute genius. I appreciate so much of this. When Tony Graffia and Matt Roberts got together to write their respective episodes, Tony Graffia having written Freedom and Whiskey, Matt Roberts having written A Malcolm, and they together decided how they were going to meld these episodes together. And I think it was a stroke of genius that in Freedom and Whiskey, we get Claire's point of view of like the events leading up to the reunion. We see how prepared she is, how much she's thought about this over and over and over again and dissected it and just literally beat it to a pulp trying to think of every possible outcome. So we see that in Freedom and Whiskey. And Matt Roberts had this great idea to rewind it so that we can see a day in the life of Jamie Fraser and see how absolutely unprepared he was 
for Claire to walk into his life on that ordinary day. And the way Matt was saying it, he said, there had to be a reason that Jamie Fraser, King of Men, fainted. Okay, he had to be so overwhelmed in that moment. And we wanted to show that this was just another day for him. He was completely caught off guard, completely overwhelmed, never expected this. Like it was just all hitting him at once, essentially. And so I really did appreciate the separate timelines leading up to that moment that they meet in the print shop. Now, when I break down this episode, I'm going to try to go chronologically because there is a lot of stuff, but obviously the Jamie and Claire stuff takes precedence over everything else. After we put aside all of the fainting and the opening credits, which let's take a moment to appreciate those opening credits because they are my absolute favorite, I think. It was so cool that instead of the animated credits that they normally do, they had the print paper and then he like pulled it off the press and there it was written by Matt Roberts, directed by Norma Bailey. Sam actually learned how to use the printing press for these episodes so that he could do this. And so he is actually the one pulling the paper off the press, which I thought was so great. But then that sets us up for later one of my biggest pet peeves of the show. And I know one of you mentioned it in the comments on Instagram, so I know I'm not alone. But that hand double they got for him to hold the pictures, those are not even close to Sam's hands. Like they didn't even try, guys, I feel like. And you know, I can I can totally tell because being the obsessive obsassnack that I am, Sam has these amazingly gorgeous hands with these long slender fingers and beautifully shaped perfect oval fingernails. And you can totally tell when he is holding the pictures or whatever. It's a close-up of his hands. And then whenever you look at those pictures, it's not even close to him. They're these raggedy square nails and the hands are not the same. It's like you didn't even try. Anyway, so that is one of my biggest pet peeves about this episode. I know it's something really tiny, but it is something that irks me every time I watch it. So... And I know, I know it's not just me because, like I said, one of you mentioned it earlier. <laughs> Whenever we get to the reunion and Jamie wakes up and he says something in Gaelic akin to, holy shit, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That's the tone anyway. He's like, oh my god, you're real. Because he hallucinates Claire so much. I hesitate to use the word hallucinate. It has such a negative connotation to it, but... He saw Claire on the battlefield when he was almost dead at Culloden. He would see her in his most lonely times, probably a lot when he was in the cave. I mean, we saw him conjure her up in surrender right before Jenny says the famous line, you scared the bowels out of me. And then pretty much any time that he was sick and had a fever, he would see her. He would hallucinate her at that point. So he didn't honestly believe that it was her. He thought he was hallucinating. And then when she touches him, he just kind of freaks out. He's like, oh my God, oh my God, you're real. And then Claire, of course, like, I thought you were dead. (laughs) I think that's a double entendre, honestly. Like, I don't know whether she honestly thought he was dead when he like fainted and she ran down. I'm sure there was a part of her that panicked. But also by way of explanation, I think, and she uses that phrase quite a bit over the course of this episode, which is another thing that I'm like, okay, how many times can you say it? But 
we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So this reunion of theirs, the one thing that I probably love more than anything else about this episode is how completely realistic it is. Jamie and Claire are so awkward around each other. They haven't seen each other for 20 years. And yes, they have this idealized version of who they are to each other, who they remember each other to be. But the reality of that situation is that they haven't seen each other for two decades. A lot has happened to the other person in that time frame. They're not the same people that they were. And so when Jamie says that, that really just has an, a note of truth to it that no other line could come close to. It's like, he says, we know each other less now than when we were first wed. And I got to thinking about that and I was like, yeah, that is legitimately true because Jamie was 22 and Claire was 27 whenever they first met and they got married. Well, how much history and uh, dirty laundry can a person accrue in the first 10, 15 years of their life? Not a lot. So really the bulk of the stuff that they were sharing or that they had to hide happened to them within the last five to 10 years before they met. Well, now they've got 20 years of full adulthood behind them, between them, It's a really insane situation, but they have this amazing chemistry and they have this pull to each other and they still love each other despite knowing all of this. And so when Jamie says the line, I would really like to kiss you. And he kind of just steps toward her and then he like stops and Claire's kind of taken aback. (laughs) But it's so like he wants to do it so bad and 20 years ago he wouldn't have had to ask but he feels awkward about just laying one on her after not having seen her in so long he doesn't know why she's come back at that point it's just so awkward but it's so real and claire's like of course you can kiss me (laughs) the guy that plays jordy in this episode is so beyond perfect like so perfect And when he says, I quit, (laughs) I'm free church and working for a papist is one thing, but an immoral papist, (laughs) oh my God, do what you like with your own soul, man. But if it's come to orgies in the shop, it's come too far. (laughs) And Claire can't even contain her laughter when he storms out and neither can Jamie. Luckily, they both have such a great sense of humor, but... Honestly, it breaks the tension and call me stupid, but it took me about five or six watches to catch the line that most of you probably caught the first time around when Jamie says, come with me, unless you think it's immoral. It took me, I am ashamed to say it took me as long as it did for me to connect those dots. I'm like, oh, he's making a joke about what Jordy said. Ha ha. So that's my embarrassing tidbit for the day, guys. This leads them into the back room where probably the most important conversation of the episode takes place. This is a huge scene, and I'm not just talking about in terms of importance. It is a very lengthy scene. It's a good 10 minutes of the episode, and it's a great scene. I could watch this scene on repeat. 
breaking it down from the beginning when Claire walks in, there is, I think, something that gets lost in translation here. But when you're reading Voyager and then you go back and watch this episode, it kind of clicks. So Claire obviously doesn't know a lot about Jamie. She knows the basics. She knows he was in prison. She knows he was paroled. All of that. She now knows he's a printer. But she doesn't know anything about his personal life. She doesn't know if he's married. She doesn't know if he has kids. And so when she walks into that room in Voyager, it's a loft, but it's really just a back room in the show. And she sees that it's just a cot and a couple of personal belongings. And there's no feminine touch. She just sighs a sigh of relief. And she can relax and do what she came there to do. This whole scene is really, I think, the part that depressed me the most. And I say depressed. It really saddened me. Jamie is kind of still reeling from the shock of Claire showing up and he turns to her and he says, it's very fine to see you again, Claire. I never thought. And then the light comes on and his immediate second thought is, oh my God, the baby. And you can see it on his face. He's almost afraid to ask. He's like hesitant. And then he says, our child. And Claire is beaming from ear to ear and she pulls out the pictures and she says, I thought you might like to see our daughter. And Jamie is just so beyond shocked in the books. And I think Sam does a great job of showing this in the show. Like Jamie was so sure that Claire was carrying a boy. And not that he, he doesn't hold anything against Brianna for being a girl. Like he is just so thrilled that he has a child, a legitimate child that he can claim as his own, even though he will never see her. He's just so happy. And you can see it like tears spring to his eyes. He's like, she knows like, and Claire is like, yes, she knows. She knows everything. And there was this part in the book that I really did miss. It was in Freedom and Whiskey where Brianna was like, kisses Claire on the cheek and says, give my father this. And Claire didn't do that in the show. And I was so bummed. Like, I just wanted Jamie to have that. She wanted me to give you this. I just wish Jamie had that validation, honestly. When Jamie's looking through the pictures, it's so great. His emotion, he just can't even look at the pictures. He's got his eyes closed and he's like, what did you name her? And I'm so torn, guys. Like, I think that it was very well done for what was written in the scripts. Do not get me wrong. I think that the actors did a good job with what they were given. However... This scene was so different in the books and I was very attached to how it happened in the books. I was kind of disappointed and I know that Diana was worried about this as well and I know that I'm not the only one that feels this way, but Jamie was far and away more emotional in the books seeing Brianna and hearing about her than he was in the show. He literally broke down and sobbed with his head in Claire's lap in the books and so I... I just wanted to see that, but they, they gave him such an emotional break in surrender after Fergus got hurt that they didn't want to do that twice in the same season. And I think that was a mistake, honestly. I think that was a missed opportunity. So I'm trying not to be bitter about it because like I said, I do think that it works in the show and that Sam did a good job with what was in the script, but yeah, trying not to be too disappointed on that one. 
But really, this is just the beginning of the scene. And oh my god, if I don't chuckle every time Jamie gets to that picture of Brie in her bikini, I was like, Christ. <laughs> don't tell me she goes swimming in that rigging with a lad. <laughs> and Claire can't even contain it either. She's just like, it's a bikini. <laughs> One thing that just is a knife in my heart is when Claire is talking about Bree's red hair and Jamie says, like her sister, Faith. I appreciate what Matt did in this moment by not letting that go unsaid because it would have been so easy to gloss over it and not keep that line in there. But you know what? Jamie and Claire experienced the loss of a child together And that is something that it's like Jamie said in the episode Faith. He said, we're the only two people in the world that know this pain in the uh, extended version on the DVD. But in that scene originally in the script, he said that line that we're the only two people in the world who understand this pain, the pain of losing faith. And yes, it was so tragic but it was so good to hear him say it that she's there in everything that they do they'll never forget her and they both love her and so I think that Claire appreciated that too him bringing her up because she knows that she hasn't been alone for all of these years in her grief of her child which moves us into the other big thing in this scene which is Jamie telling Claire about Willie. It's one of those situations where initially on the screen, Jamie told Claire the whole story about Geneva and everything. They decided that we didn't need to reiterate and rehash the events of that episode. Like we'd already seen it. It was basically just cutting up time on an episode that was already running really long. So they cut that. And I think that we got what we needed out of that conversation And genuinely, it just made my day. It always makes my day to see Jamie talking about his son because he clearly loves him so much. And Claire can see that too in his eyes and in the way he talks about him. Looking at that picture, like she can see how gorgeous Willie is and how much he looks like his father. And of course, she asks, what's he like, your son? And gives Jamie a chance to talk about him for the first time in probably two or three years. That's how long it's been since he left Hellwater. And it's like he said, he didn't even, Jenny doesn't even know that Willie exists. So it's really cool to see this, that Claire gets to gush about her daughter, well, their daughter, but Claire raised her and she gets to tell stories about her. And then Jamie gets to tell Claire about Willie. So I love that they got to share in their children. But really, the kicker of this episode, and it's not something that is picked back up until creme de menthe, which just grinds my gears. I can't believe (laughs) Well, I can believe it, but it still irritates me that they cut off this conversation, was the one about Claire and Frank. And you can really see in that conversation, like Jamie's asking genuinely about Frank, like, what did you tell him about me? And when Claire says everything, and then we never talked about it again because it was hard for him, but he loved Brianna. So we made it work. It really was hard for Frank. 
Like, he knew that Jamie was always going to have a place in Claire's heart. I think more than anything in this conversation, Jamie is trying to assure himself that he did the right thing. And when he says, so you were happy with him. And Claire says, I was happy raising Brianna with him. He kind of takes that as affirmation, but at the same time, he feels a little bitter about it because it's one of the great differences in their experience. And I know I've mentioned it before, like Claire thought Jamie was dead and she went on living her life, whereas Jamie lived for 20 years knowing that Claire was with someone else. And as much as he wanted her to be happy, it still broke his heart every time he thought about it. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, honestly. Like, he wanted her to be happy, but he was also extremely hurt at the idea of her being happy without him. The fact that they didn't get to finish that conversation, I was just like, Ugh, I really wanted to finish that conversation. <laughs> but of course, they didn't, and they run off to further the plot, which I really felt was like the only point to having other things happen in this episode. And I have to grudgingly give them that, I guess. We can't make it an episode where Jamie and Claire are just locked in a room for an hour and a half and they just talk. Even though that's what the audience wants, it's not what's best for the show. And I keep telling myself that. <laughs> so they go to the tavern, we meet Mr. Willoughby, and we kind of find out what Jamie has been up to a little bit in the past couple of years. It doesn't look good, does it? And when I was watching this, I was literally just like, Jamie can't keep himself out of trouble, can he? Like, he's just not living his best life if he is not on the edge all the time. <laughs> and it's really irritating that he is like that, okay? I don't like him putting himself in danger, and I'm pretty sure Claire would agree with me. But you know what? That's just the type of person he is. So he's got his little smuggling business going on, and it is a much bigger cluster in the books than it is in the show. It actually kind of quickly resolves itself in the show um, within the next episode, and it kind of carries on for a little bit in the books. So I am glad in a way that it was over a little bit quicker <laughs> in the show. But yeah, we kind of get a good look at this guy that's trying to extort him for money. And it all ties into what happens at the end of this episode, which I'll be quite honest, I did not care for how this episode ended. It is honestly one of the reasons that this episode does not rank higher for me because I love all of the Jamie and Claire stuff. I really do. But at the same time, I could have been perfectly content to have this episode end with Jamie leaving the apartment and saving all of the other stuff with Ian and the excisemen and everything like that for creme de menthe. I think that that would have been perfectly reasonable and I think it would have made me a lot happier as a viewer. So I don't know what you guys are feeling about it, but honestly, like this is the reason that I can't kick up a Malcolm to a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10. Honestly, I would probably give it an 8 just because of how it ended. And the little stuff that bothers me. But honestly, what I found most intriguing about this whole smuggling plot and Jamie telling Claire about Willie and all of that and Claire telling Jamie about Frank, they're picking their moments of honesty. 
They're not being fully open and honest with each other, which is kind of uncharacteristic for Jamie and Claire. They're very honest people, but they're very tentative around each other in this first episode. Of course, there's legitimate reason for that, and it breaks my heart seeing their insecurities around each other whenever they are getting ready to make love for the first time and Claire's standing naked in front of Jamie and Jamie's just staring at her and she covers herself up and she's like, would you bloody say something? Like she's so insecure about the changes in her body. I mean, it's been 20 years. She's had a baby. She doesn't know how he's going to react. And granted, he's not anywhere close to being appalled by her appearance, but she feels that insecurity just like anybody else would. I felt like that was a very relatable thing. On the other end of the spectrum, we've got Jamie, who is hiding things from her intentionally because he's so afraid she's going to pick up and leave. He's terrified that every time he tells her something bad, as he construes it, she's just going to pick up and run away screaming. So he is really just, he bites the bullet and he tells her about Willie, but he he can't bring himself to tell her all of his other secrets. It's really even hard for him to admit that he's smuggling, even though why he thinks she would hold that against him, I have no idea. But the fact that he has even bigger secrets than that is just like, holy crap, guy. Like, what are we doing? It's kind of insane, honestly. So the other really big Jamie and Claire scene that I wanted to talk about was when Jamie first brings Claire back to the brothel and they're up in his room. And Claire is kind of appalled by the whole thing because the Jamie that she knew would never have lived in a brothel. Like she's just so confused and she keeps thinking. You can tell, you can see it on her face. Who is this guy? Is he even the same man that I left 20 years ago? She's really trying to reconcile who she has in her head versus who she's seeing right in front of her. And this is when Jamie has the line, like, we know each other less now than we did when we were first wed. It's so true. And this scene between them is really like as much as They are so happy to be with each other again. Jamie is, he's waiting for there to be strings attached almost. And he keeps asking her, why? Why are you here? Why did you come back? Claire keeps saying, I thought you were dead. And I'm like, by about the third or fourth time she says that, I'm like, girl, do you have any other words to use? Like, you are not being a very good communicator here. (laughs) Um, you are not helping yourself or the situation, okay? (laughs) I mean, literally all he's wanting in that moment is for her to say that she still loves him or that she's there for him and she's not going anywhere. Like, that's what he needs out of the situation. And instead, all she keeps saying is, I thought you were dead. I do love that he says, I have to know, like, do you want me? And she says... Whoever you are, James Fraser, I do want you. And so the tension leaves him a little bit at that. And they can finally, I guess, look forward a little bit. It's so interesting. The one thing that I hold on to from this scene is when Jamie's like, how 
did you find out I wasn't dead or where I was? And she said, oh, I had some help from a young historian. And I'm just like, that's right, Jamie. His name is Roger Wakefield McKenzie. And don't you forget that name for things that happen later. Okay, sir? (laughs) I just like this conversation was never had on screen between Jamie and Claire that Roger was the one that helped Claire find Jamie. And the Jamie owes him a lot in the grand scheme of things. Like, I think that might have gone a long way towards Jamie's behavior later in the series, in my opinion. But it's neither here nor there, I suppose. Water under the bridge at this point. But we finally get into the portion of the episode where they're physically intimate again for the first time. And this is a big deal. Like, a big deal. Like, can you imagine... I mean, Claire hasn't been intimate with anybody in a long time and neither has Jamie probably since Willie was conceived. And so they're kind of very shy around one another for good reason. And they're both self-conscious. And I really felt that this intimacy was earned in how they did it in the episode. It was very reminiscent of the wedding, which I know was intentional on the part of Matt Roberts and Norma Bailey. They talked about it a little bit in the official companion of Outlander. And you can see it in the way they undress each other and the way they take their time. They're admiring each other's bodies. And that first love scene is really just about immediacy and need and hunger almost. I mean, not that that's what that first scene is in the wedding. That's what the second one's about. I think they certainly had the fear and uncertainty of that first encounter in this one, but they get over that uncertainty pretty quickly. (laughs) Right about the time that they smack noses, which I gotta tell you, I know in the very first episode we were talking about favorite sex scenes of the series and this one was my honorable mention because I just felt like this scene was so real compared to all of the others. It's awkward and it's not pretty and like Jamie almost falls on top of her and they smack noses. Claire's pretty sure she's broken her nose. Like it's just it's awkward and clumsy and yes like everybody can identify with that I feel like. So I love this first encounter. And then the second one, where they're just slow and steady, gazing into each other's eyes and really reconnecting on an emotional level as much as a physical level during that second love scene was just really beautiful. It's got this beautiful blue light. And I really appreciated that for what it was. Honestly, it reminded me of the third love scene in the wedding, just gazing at each other and holding each other. It was beautiful. I mean, They didn't skip a beat. They still got it. It's still very, very steamy. Very steamy. But they have a couple of smaller scenes in between the intimacy. Um, One is where Jamie, like, pulls his leg up while they're laying in bed and Claire sees his scar. And she's like, how the hell did you get that? And he says, Culloden. And they don't talk about it anymore. Uh, Culloden's a very painful thing for Jamie to recall. Uh, In fact, in the books, he doesn't remember it at all, really. So they don't really talk about it. But Claire just looks at him and says, I will never 
leave you again. And he looks back at her and says, you were right to leave. You did it for Brianna. You were a wonderful mother, Claire. I know it. And as they lay there, it's this very close up of their faces. It's a gorgeous moment. And Jamie's got his eyes closed. He's like perfectly peaceful. And Claire is sitting there thinking. And as much as you can see the contentment on her face, you can also see the tears in her eyes because, yes, she's with Jamie again, but she's missing her daughter. You can really feel her pain in that moment. And I did, honestly, for the first time. It was the first time I really thought about it. But I'm like, oh, she's thinking of Brianna in this moment. So, yeah, that was kind of sad for me. And then the next morning when she wakes up and Jamie's just looking at her with such love and adoration in his eyes. It's a gorgeous moment. And he says, I could stare at you for hours. See how you've changed and how you're the same. Oh, God, all a woman wants is for a man to talk to her like that. Gentlemen, if you are listening, the way to a woman's heart is to talk like Jamie Fraser. Okay, get your notepad out and take some notes because this man knows how to please a woman. (laughs) Honestly, I just love all the little moments of this episode. That is what sells this episode to me. And I don't think I'm alone in that. Like, yes, it is so great to see Jamie and Claire back together again, but it's seeing how they connect. And that is 100% the icing on the cake for this scene is when she says, a long time ago, you asked me what it was between us. And he says, I remember what it is when I touch you and you lie with me. And she says, I told you I didn't know. And I still don't. And he says, but it's still there. I love all the little callbacks to the first season in this episode. It's their reunion, but in a lot of ways, it's them meeting again for the first time because they have this history, but it's been so long that they have to get reacquainted with who they are. They're pretty much different people than who they were whenever they left each other. It's been that long. And so... It really is touching in so many different ways to see them together, but to know that on an atomic level, they are still Jamie and Claire, and they still feel this overwhelming connection to each other despite everything that they've been through together and apart. It's just amazing. So I think that's where I want to leave it for this episode because it gives me all the warm and fuzzies thinking about their connection Honestly, I can't say it enough. Outlander, the television show, would not be what it is without Sam Hewen and Katrina Balfe. They have a chemistry that is unparalleled to anything I have ever seen anywhere else in TV or film. They're amazing together and apart, just like Jamie and Claire. Yeah, stars really hit gold when they cast both of them together. I don't know if they had cast someone else to play Claire whether they would have had the same success, honestly. So, I love it. I love A. Malcolm. Like I said, there are definitely points that I don't like, the ending included, but it is what it is. 8 out of 10 for me. So, I don't know if this is something that you guys would like to see me do more often, is rate, like give the episodes a rating. 
I wouldn't mind doing that, like on a scale of one to 10, what was my thoughts on it? So yeah, that wraps up what I have to say on the episode. However, as always, I opened it up to you guys to see what you thought on the episode. And I got quite a few responses, but for the sake of time, I have narrowed it down to three. The first one is from T4 Morris on Instagram. They say, my favorite part was, I would very much like to kiss you. I love this episode and go back to it often. I love the awkwardness of the love scene after being apart for so long. The awkwardness of learning about each other, wondering if this was a good idea to be rekindled. Everything about this movie is so well thought out. People talk about Bridgerton. That has nothing close to the detailed work that has gone on in Outlander. I could not agree with that statement more. Okay, so if you have read my latest blog post, you will know that I have watched Bridgerton and I'm part of several Outlander groups out there in the social media universe. And there was so much buzz about Bridgerton that I was like, okay, fine. Because I had so many people like, oh my God, you have to watch it. Oh my God, you have to watch it. It reminds me of Outlander. And I watched it and I'm like, okay, yes, it does have some good moments. And damn it, if some of those actors and creators did not get nominated for Golden Globes, are you joking? Like, I'm really trying not to get too worked up about this, but Outlander is so far and above what Bridgerton has to offer that it honestly appalls me, makes me sick, makes me angry that people are even putting them in the same ballpark, to be honest, people. Like, Bridgerton was okay. It wasn't absolutely fantastic. Yes, the costumes were beautiful. The acting, for the most part, was good. Special effects, not so good. And some of the writing was honestly a little rough around the edges. So it kind of blows me away that it's even been, like, it's beating Outlander in the universe of award shows. It just baffles me and pisses me off. So I must stop talking about it. (laughs) But yes, I don't see how people can even put Bridgerton and Outlander in the same category, honestly. So thank you for bringing that up. My second comment is from Hun3YMike. I, oh, Honey, Honey Mike? I have no idea (laughs) what your username says. I am so sorry. But they say, I thought it was great. I have mixed feelings about Jamie telling Claire about his son so quickly. It was the right thing for Jamie to do, of course, but Jamie is far less perfect in the books. I miss that a little sometimes on screen. In the books, it makes the times he is perfect even sweeter, and the fact that he shares that secret with Lord John makes the scenes later when Lord John visits them in North Carolina even more fraught with tension. Yeah, I agree that the show has definitely gone above and beyond to give Jamie Fraser overwhelming popularity. He is far less perfect in the books, and I will 100% agree with that. However, Diana has come out and said that Jamie and Claire are very honest people, and that's what makes their marriage work. And so it was honestly very uncharacteristic of Jamie to keep something so huge from Claire. I really don't think 
that at least not show version of Jamie and clearly because he doesn't. I really find it hard to believe that Jamie would keep his marriage to Leary and his son secret from Claire for so long. So I agree, but I also will kind of keep my own counsel on that, I I guess. That is that. And then to wrap things up, I have a comment on Facebook from Joan Cohen. As always, she leaves me with this lovely three paragraph long comment, but it's always so fun to read what she has to say. Okay. She says, there's so many wonderful moments. I thought the adaptation of the reunion was excellent, very faithful to the book, even if it had to be a bit compressed for time. All the emotions came through joy, fear, uncertainty, awkwardness, tenderness. I was so happy that much of the dialogue from the book was retained throughout the episode. Yes, Joan, I agree. And some of Claire's internal monologue even made it into lines in the show, which I also thought was very clever on Matt's part. Joan continues to say, I thought a few things were improved upon too. It's much more plausible explanation that Claire went to America instead of France. And I liked that Jamie reacted to the presence of the photos, which gave Claire a chance to explain how they're made. In the book, Mr. Willoughby is an awful caricature. Thank goodness that was changed. So I'm glad she agrees with me on that. The rewind of this episode was a very clever device to help us get a sense of Jamie's life now. And it heightens the tension since we know about this ordinary day and his life are about to be turned upside down. I loved seeing Jamie working the printing press. I read that Sam took lessons and he looked so natural doing it. The title cards being printed were a nice touch. Jamie's taken on a new identity in each episode this season. This time, he appears to have finally become a respectable man of substance until we find out that he's printing seditious pamphlets and smuggling alcohol. It strikes me that without Claire to ground him and without the responsibility of having to care for tenants, Jamie has reverted to some of the recklessness of his youth. Even after their reunion, when Claire is trying to guess his profession, he's rather cavalier, talking about how often he's been arrested and how he'll likely hang if caught. It's a bit of a throwback to season one when he's telling Claire about raiding cattle and the price on his head for murder. It's almost as if he's showing off like a young man trying to impress a girl, not a 45-year-old man who has finally been reunited with his soulmate. So, Joan, I have to break in because, honestly, I didn't really feel like he was peacocking. I felt like he was using humor as a defense mechanism because he knew that Claire wasn't going to be happy about it, but he also wants to break the news to her that like he is involved in some risky business and that he could be arrested anytime because he knows he has to tell her some of these things. He doesn't want to, but again, it's one of those things where he's really scared to tell her because he's afraid she's going to pack up and run off screaming. And so he's kind of joking about it to break the tension. I don't think he's bragging about it by any means. Um, I think that his life smuggling and printing seditious pamphlets there, um, he was very comfortable with that life when it was just him. And now that Claire is back, he's like, oh, shit, now my activities are going to be putting her in danger, too. And how is she going to react to that? So that's kind of how I took it. Um, The rest of Joan's comment says, my favorite moment has to be when they first tumble into bed and Jamie bangs Claire's nose. Jamie kisses her nose tenderly and they manage to have a laugh despite the intensity of the moment. The tension is diffused and we get to see how instantly they reconnect despite being apart for so long. 
It felt very real. There's many other humorous moments to balance out this emotional episode, especially Jordy's comments, the whore's brunch, and Madame Jean's priceless reaction to being introduced to Claire. A pretty perfect episode. So yeah, I mean, I agree. There are plenty of great moments in this episode. Did I think it was the best episode ever created for Outlander? Absolutely not. I definitely think that it had its faults. But yeah, 100%. There were some wonderful moments and it's so good to see Jamie and Claire back together. So wonderful summary as always, Joan. And thank you for writing in. That wraps up my analysis of 306 A. Malcolm, everybody. But I am so excited to announce that for the first time in the history of the Sassanac Files, I have new filming information. And I know that you guys have probably seen it, but if you are in a social media island and you do not know what's going on on Facebook slash Instagram slash Twitter slash whatever, Outlander Season 6 officially started filming on January 7th. As I told you several episodes ago, but we have officially had it confirmed. They released a nice little video that I shared on Facebook and Instagram about the new sets and the props and everything. And they have some gorgeous new sets this year, guys. It looks amazing. Amazing. We saw some of the props. There are some nice little hints as to what we have to come if you have read the books. It is so fun to... Somebody screenshotted them and posted them on another group, like screen grabbed it so you can see everything. And I am so excited. We've got a beautiful new church set. We've got a beautiful barn outside the back of the big house. The costumes look great. We got our first glimpse at Sam and Katrina in their outfits filming season six. It looks so great. And there was an interview released in Elle magazine with Matt Roberts. So the first episode of season six is going to be titled Echoes. And it is about each of the main characters dealing with a significant event of their past. So stay tuned. I'm planning on having a what we can look forward to in season six episode, which will be a total spoiler zone, everything that we can pick apart from book six, I'm going to have a special guest on. And that will be a couple months down the road. So hopefully we will have some more sneak peeks by then, more stuff to break down, maybe even a teaser trailer. Wouldn't that be great? With the timeline, I know that a lot of you guys have questions about, well, okay, so they're filming. What does this mean? How does this impact when we're actually going to see season six? So they started right after the new year. Generally, it takes nine months to film a season and then a couple of months of post. So 11 month turnaround time on a normal year. However, with the pandemic, they're having to film in smaller groups. They're having to test everybody regularly. If somebody tests positive for COVID, that's probably going to shut down filming. So there's so many variables that honestly, I look for it to be a year plus before we get a new season. So if everything goes perfectly smoothly and they get everything out and Stars is absolutely desperate for new material, they're like scraping the bottom of the barrel. The absolute earliest we would see season six is October, guys. 
probably more likely we're looking at February of next year. Um, They may get their act together and get it all together by December. But honestly, I'm I'm betting it's going to be February of 2022. So obviously, if we get any new news, I will keep you guys appraised. I'm always sharing stuff on Facebook and Instagram. So make sure to hop on over and follow the Sassanac Files there to make sure you are up to date on all the latest and greatest news, especially with season six filming now. And all the actors are like given carte blanche to post whatever they want to post. I'm sure we're going to start seeing all kinds of fun stuff roll in. It was so hilarious. Like stars posted the official like filming is going on for season six. And then literally it was an influx of all the actors posting stuff on their Instagrams and their Twitters and stuff, pictures and everything like that. It was really great, really refreshing. Droughtlander lesson just a little bit when we get to see everybody in their costumes and we finally see something happening. I'm not gonna lie, this last nine months has been really rough with no news, like nothing happening. So it was really good to see all of that this week. So If you haven't seen any of that, make sure you head over to the Sassanac Files. There's also some really great resources um, on Instagram and Facebook, Outlander Obsessed, Outlander Rewatch. If you're interested in the books, Outlander Lounge and She Studies Outlander, they're all really great. So you might follow those as well. I'm going to try to get together a list of all the actors and supporting artists and things like that, um, makeup artists and steady cam operators and drivers and things like that. People like that that normally post little tidbits here and there. So you guys can make sure you're following them as well to get all the good stuff for season six. So um, with all of that out of the way, next week is a break for me. It's the mid-season break, but uh, I will have a new episode for you. It's just not going to be an episode analysis. So Rebecca is coming back for a breakdown of the character of Frank Randall. Since we said goodbye to him in the first half of season three, we thought it was a perfect time to talk about him, his character, his motivations, his emotional state, how good of a father he was to Brie, all all the stuff about Frank Randall. It will be a spoiler-free zone though, because Rebecca has only read book one, so there won't be too much book information there. For those of you that have not read the books, or don't like Frank because of the books, we're just talking about show Frank. So make sure to tune in for that. That will be February 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Be there. Make sure to RSVP on Facebook for the event. It will be a Facebook Live. And make sure to get your questions in so that we can make sure to get them answered on air. I will talk to you guys next week, February 17th when we're talking about Frank and cannot wait to see you there. And then in two weeks, we will pick back up with season three analysis on 307 Creme de Menthe. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and I will chat at you later. Bye. Bye.